co-pastors at Westside Reformed Church, a URC congregation in Cincinnati, Ohio. And today we are going to be talking about uh, demons. Uh, our last episode we were speaking about angels. And so in this episode we want to uh, now turn our attention to think about the fallen angels, the unclean spirits, the, the demons, and talk about who they are and what they do. But Zach, before we get into you know demons per se, we should probably uh, speak about Satan, like who he is, where he came from. So um, who is he? Sure. Well, Satan is um, a fallen angel. He's created by God. So let's be clear here that he, there's not some yin next to God's yang or something along those lines. So this goes back to our previous episode on angels. They're, they're fallen. Um, uh, these are fallen angels. They're created uh, by God, um, although not explicitly mentioned in the uh, Genesis 1 and 2 account itself. We learn this elsewhere in Scripture that they were created when God made uh, the universe. Uh, Satan, um, sometimes called Lucifer or just the devil, uh, we should think about him within the biblical drama as one who um, is uh, the leader of the dark um, forces, the, the leader of the demonic. He uh, tried to set himself up to be God. And so there's that sense in which we think about the true God, the Lord of hosts, now, he is the God of all the elect angels, the righteous angels. Then you have the counterfeit uh, father, you could say, who then um, is in charge of all the fallen angels with him. And he sets himself up as that counterfeit uh, God, uh, lowercase uh, g, false God, and the uh, prince of the power of the air. His fall is unclear in the Bible. We're not exactly sure when the fall happened. I think that some would believe that he fell sometime prior to the Garden of Eden and then subsequently entered the Garden of Eden. Uh, I think maybe it could have happened uh, at the same time as the fall of man and that as he tempted uh, Adam and Eve, that uh, in that temptation was his fall. Uh, I'm not sure. We don't really know exactly when it happened, but we do know that it happened and that he tried to become the god of this creation he tried to take uh, the lord's um, rightful sovereignty and that it's described in isaiah 14 as he was trying to ascend and to take the throne of god in heaven but then god has now uh, cast him uh, down that uh, casting him down could be unpacked a little bit in some different ways however i think that that is um uh, even saying that um, is uh, enough for, for today. Um, I, I think probably the uh, uh, Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14, some very key verses here. Let me just read those for us. Um, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. 
And then it goes on to speak about how God has cast him down. And so, so far that's about um, Satan, the devil, Lucifer. Um, so, Brandon, can you maybe unpack this further for us? He goes by some of these different names, like I've already mentioned mm-hmm. a few, but could you unpack some of those and what they mean for us? Sure. As you mentioned, you know, uh, Satan goes by various uh, names in the Bible, you know, one being Satan. And the word Satan itself means adversary. And so Satan, I mean, even just the word, it, he's set up as he's the adversary of God, the adversary of the church, of God's people. Uh, we see this, for example, in First Chronicles 21, Job 1, Zechariah 3. You know, Satan, the adversary, is, is against uh, the church, against God. He's also called the devil. Matthew chapter 4 uses, uses that um, language. Uh, when, when we first see Satan, he's described as a serpent, and so he, he can go by that title as well. The, the, the serpent that entered, entered the garden. Um, John in Revelation 12 speaks about him as the serpent of old, and so you know, he's known as, as this serpent-like um, uh, being. He's, he's been called Beelzebul, uh, Matthew 10, the ruler of this world in John 12, the lowercase g god of this world in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Uh, he's been called the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2.2, the evil one in Matthew 13, the father of lies in John 8, murderer in John 8 again. He's been called the accuser in Revelation 12, as well as the deceiver in 2 Corinthians 11. So all those, all those words are kind of getting at, um, at Satan, he is murderer. He's the source, the father of, of all lies. He deceives. He's the evil one. He is the ruler of this fallen world. All that is, is fallen, all that is contrary to God, he is the ruler of that. Um, and so that, that, those are the ways in which the Bible speaks about Satan. Uh, but Zach, maybe you can kind of introduce us to, and these names kind of hint at it, but mm-hmm. maybe you can introduce to us what, are, what, what is the, the mission, the goal of these demons? Yeah. Well, bearing in mind what we were saying earlier that Lucifer, Satan, is the leader of the demons, even though thus far we've been focusing on Satan himself, that should then tell us about those whom he leads as mm-hmm. well, right? So there's a, a, a large number of demons out there. They take their cue from the one uh, that Bran was just describing by those many names. And then what do the demons do in league with the uh, prince of the power of the air? Well, clearly we see in the uh, Genesis story that they are instigating uh, rebellion against God and against his uh, self-revelation. We um, would think here also about the fact that he blinds the spiritual sight, therefore, of um, unbelievers in this world. And so that is part and parcel of the sin that he uh, brings about, is to not behold God as God is, to not honor God's word as it's revealed, and that that is the place where he really takes great delight, and through his demons takes great delight to draw us away from the one true God uh, toward he who is the counterfeit uh, God of this age. We might think as well about how he can be described then as one who enslaves unbelievers. Uh, Clearly it's not an absolute slavery, but something like Pharaoh in Egypt, you could say, where he enslaved those who were workers underneath him, 
only to be then conquered and redeemed uh, by God's uh, Old Covenant uh, mediator, Moses, a great type and shadow of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he uh, uh, enslaves us spiritually um, in our natural state. He seeks to make sure the word does not spread. You might think about the parable of the sower, where the gospel is, is spread, the word of the kingdom is spread into people's hearts, and his goal then is to go where he can to steal that seed away and to take it away so it cannot be uh, implanted and find root um, within the hearts of uh, mankind. Um, we'll come back to this in a little bit. I'm glad Bran's going to have this more than me, but he um, uh, indwells in and takes possession at times of uh, unbelievers. And um, uh, we think there about uh, Legion, the uh, demoniac, sometimes it's spoken of within the uh, Gospels, those who are demon-possessed. Uh, but However, we shouldn't just think about uh, Satan and the demons only with respect to unbelievers, but certainly he is trying to uh, oppose the true living God everywhere, and he especially is enraged by the existence of God's people. He tried to hijack God's people in the garden. God gave a word of curse upon him that a, um, a savior would come and crush his head and bring redemption to the seed of the woman. And so that singular seed has come in Christ and brings victory to her plural seed. And that enrages the devil because he wanted to have all of it. He thought that he would gain the victory when he uh, deceived a woman and man in the garden. And so now he makes war upon the rest of the offspring of the woman, as we read in Revelation chapters 12 through 14. So he oppresses us. He prowls around like a roaring lion. Um, thankfully, we cannot be uh, possessed by demons because we are filled instead with the Holy Spirit, not those unclean spirits. But he's trying to deceive us into worshiping idols, trying to trick us and lead us away, sometimes even disguising himself as an angel of light and performing things. They're like signs and wonders, perhaps the kinds of things that were done by the magicians back in the land of Egypt, where to a certain degree they were able to mimic the things that were performed by God through Moses, yet they were not on that same level. They certainly try to be good. They uh, misuse God's word in many different ways, just like Satan twisted God's word in the temptation in the wilderness as he tried to tempt Jesus, uh, but to no avail. And we would also then think as well that the demons bring darkness and uh, psychological terror where they can to God's people when we forget that we have victory in Christ, where we forget that we have an even greater army that protects us, we can also become very uh, fearful of um, the demonic host, uh, not um, merely of Satan himself. So, um, Brandon, you've seen The Exorcist. You were telling me that earlier. So how about you tell us about demon possession and tell us a little bit about some of the implications here and how we might want to begin to think about this idea of, of demon possession, especially as it might relate to our current day. Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, so when you look at the Bible, a demon possession, um, 
the Bible can speak in different ways. So, for example, um, a demon-possessed person could be like the demoniac in Mark 5. And where he is kind of almost animalistic in a way. He's, he, he has supernatural strength. He's breaking chains. He's trying to destroy himself. You know, he's cutting himself and doing things, trying to almost destroy the image of God. And so the, these demons are causing a very destructive kind of behavior uh, where he's doing just great feats that is surprising everybody. He's making a lot of noise. He's causing a lot of attention. So there's that kind of demon demonic possession that, that we see in Scripture. There's also, um, for example, when uh, the episode in Acts with the Apostle Paul, where he encounters a girl who has unclean spirit inside of her, but instead of causing her to like harm herself and make a lot of noise, she has the ability to um, give various readings of people's future. Not that the demons had some perfect knowledge of the future, but perhaps they... Um, just because they've been around for thousands and thousands of years, they might know how to, how, how to uh, various, I don't know, predict things or, or whatever, but it, it ended up giving her a kind of psych a psychic power that was uh, bringing a lot of money in for her master who owned her. She was a slave girl, and she would give people um, psychic readings, and uh, the master was getting rich. And um, when Paul rebuked the spirit inside of her, she lost that ability. And then the master was mad at Paul because he lost the revenue. So it's interesting. In that scenario, this girl is given a kind of a supernatural gift that God says elsewhere that we should not at all seek or desire. We should never seek or desire to know the future by by dark arts or anything like that. But that's kind of the realm in which she was in. And so it's interesting how she was given kind of this unclean power, you could say. Um, but we also see how when the Apostle Paul is um, talking to the church in Second Timothy, and he speaks about rebuking people who are causing problems and he makes he makes kind of a, an offhanded comment where he says perhaps God will grant them repentance after having been taken captive by Satan to do his will so in in that scenario it's more of a subtle one it's more of a a subtle one that kind of like um uh, somebody comes into the church, and perhaps they seem okay, but yet they're taken captive to do Satan's will and kind of bring that church um, destructively along. So uh, there's different degrees, I guess you could see, demonic possession. <clears throat> some more destructive, some giving an, an unclean um, spiritual power of sorts. And um, so we see that reality in the Bible. And... Um, I think that demons are still with us today. I think that uh, that that is a a reality that can and and is probably still seen. And you know, I'm sure there's uh, um, you know various people who have experienced um, different things at, at different times. I know as a pastor, I've had some very bizarre different you know phone calls and 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 uh, people telling me things and wanting prayer and. Um, and also coming from very godly people of saying, hey, I, I'm experiencing this, or I, I saw this in my house. I, I had one phone call uh, of, of a lady who said that her son got, started getting into witchcraft, and even weird blood things, and kind of going down a very dark witchcraft path. 
and weird things started happening in the house and demonic activity. She could even describe it. She could even draw it, what was happening. So, you know, I think that these things are very much real. And now there's a debate on whether or not it was maybe heightened at the time of Christ to try to, um, because, you know, obviously Christ was, uh, uh, was uh, enacting redemption, and so perhaps there was this kind of convulsive uh, state to try to stop that and, and, and prevent that as much as, as much as possible, but also on, on the end of Christ to show his, his superiority over the unclean spirits. But I, I do think that even today there's um, unclean spirits and, and demonic possessions and things. But in terms of how to, how to deal or remedy with that, now this is where, um, you know, in our minds we want to go to the Exorcist movie, or we want to go to kind of what we see in Roman Catholicism, where there's these elaborate rituals that involve things like holy water, um, certain phrases being chanted. There's a well-developed um, liturgy almost of, of what has to be done to get this uh, unclean spirit out. And many of the Puritans saw that as almost using Satan to fight against Satan, um, using weird superstitious things like holy water of sorts or something like that, or a crucifix that you're going to press in on somebody, some item. Um, that, those are more in the realm of the superstition. But I think in terms of God's Word, the way in which we deal with that is very ordinary. Uh, reading the Bible, praying singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, um, uh, availing ourselves to the ordinary means of grace, the preaching of the word, the sacraments on the Lord's day, uh, being with God's people, praying with one another. Uh, I think that the remedy is very communal in terms of the, the, the church body, and I think it's very ordinary in terms of the word of God, um, prayer, and um, um, singing, worshiping, uh, bring, you know, speaking and, and asking God, God to help in these matters. I don't think that it's taking some sort of authority on ourselves or we're, you know, in this uh, exorcist-like, movie-like way, casting out these demons with these superstitious things, but it's, um, it's saying what God says in His Word, uh, proclaiming that um, about what God has said over the demons, and praying that God would cast these demons out, that God would drive these demons away, and rejoicing in that, singing praises to God. If there's one thing that demons hate, it's singing praises to God. And so singing to Him and worshiping Him and being with His people on the Lord's Day, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, availing yourself to the ordinary means of grace. I think those are ways in which um, I think that it would be very uh, wise to deal with something like a uh, demonic activity or encounter. Uh, Zach, anything else you want to add to that? Or? I think it's probably worth noting that the program that you laid out there, being very ordinary, is... In, con uh, in contrast to what some in our day would speak about as a demon trial, uh, those are not really found in Scripture, for one. Uh, we need to recognize that we're not told that we are apostolic, and we don't have prophetic gifts like they did at the time of the Twelve and the foundation-laying time of the New Covenant Church. And we don't have that, um, that, that, that uh, ability to then discern, point out demons and these kinds of things, but I think that your your point about that we ought to avail ourselves to things that are ordinary is really the path forward because what do we see throughout Scripture when 
um, Satan does get a foothold, it's, well, he wants us to be less than human in the way that we conduct ourselves. He wants us to be, um, to, to no longer be trusting in the Lord and worshiping the Lord. He wants worship for himself instead. And so as we do those things that he uh, despises and commit ourselves to those things, we really are creating a place and environment that is um, not uh, joyful to a demon and to uh, Satan himself. So I think that that is certainly uh, where we need to direct our energies all, at all times. It's the, the same thing for our own, own soul is the same thing to get rid of the, the demonic oppression is to uh, celebrate God through his word, uh, rejoice in the sacraments, sing his word, uh, be in deep fellowship with Christian brothers and sisters, show hospitality, show love, have an environment that is completely not conducive to um, uh, where a, a demon might like to spend his time. So, and I'm reminded of um, uh, William Perkins. You know, he was talking about um, he he was talking about witchcraft um, in this book that I was reading, but it, it kind of maps on well here as well. But he, he one he wants to remind his reader that God is more powerful. So, you know, you mentioned that at, at the beginning, Satan is not like an equal power with God. Um, uh, God is, is over that. But he also says, because God is over the demonic, um, and if God providentially allows us to experience this or witness this or be oppressed in that way, then he says we should humble ourselves to God and also seek ways in which we can grow in holiness and godliness so using that affliction, uh, even though it might be more supernatural than what we were typically experiencing. But if we're you know, providentially led to that, that type of a, affliction, we can then use that affliction to grow in, in Christ-likeness. And, and holiness and look for ways in which you know we could repent of sin look for ways in which we can grow in our faith but again very ordinarily I mean in word sacrament prayer singing worshiping well we hope that's been helpful for you um, obviously we couldn't say everything that can be said about this topic but we hope in terms of an introduction and a broad overview of not just angels which we did last episode but but fallen angels in this episode this has been helpful for you to think about something that, it, once again, not oftentimes uh, reflected upon and discussed within Christian circles, yet still part of God's revelation to us within Holy Scripture. And so until next time, this is the uh, Cincy Reformed Podcast. We are sponsored by Westside Reformed Church. We invite you to check out our episodes at cincyreformed.org and check out our church at westsidereformed.org. Thanks.